Welcome back to the Move Against Cancer podcast, the show where we talk to brilliant guests to help support and inspire people that are affected by cancer. Visit our website, movecharity.org, for more information on the work that we do. I'm your host, Sophie, and in this episode, I'll be speaking with Simon Darby, who is a Young Lives versus Cancer social work team leader in Northern Ireland and also founder of the Move Forward exercise programme for young adults affected by cancer. Move Forward is a CrossFit-based exercise programme, and I'm also joined by Mark, who is one of the programme leaders. Mark was also supported by Simon when he was going through cancer himself. So Simon was his Young Lives First Cancer social worker. And I am delighted to be joined by them today and hear a little bit more about their story and their journeys. Hi, Simon. Hi, Mark. Thank you for joining me today. How are you both? Yeah, good, good, good. good. Good, good, good to hear it. Have you been getting much sunshine in uh, Northern Ireland? I mean, today we had thunder and lightning. Did you see that? And now the sun's splitting the trees. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a very heavy heat. It's like humid. Have you ever been to Florida? No, I've not, but well, it's not, it's not I've heard of the heat. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not on par with Florida, but it's it's muggy, as we would yeah. say in Northern yeah. Ireland, it's muggy. Yeah. It's, it's saying we'd say that in Liverpool as well. So yeah, it's a scouse saying as well. <laughs> but yeah, big thank you uh, to you both for joining me today. Um, for anyone that doesn't know who you are, do you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourself so people can learn a little bit more about you before we start? Sure. Uh, I'm Simon Darby. I am a social worker for Young Lives Versus Cancer, uh, based in Northern Ireland. And I've been doing this for, I think it's coming 13 years, 12 or 13 years this year, supporting young people and their families through, um, from the point of diagnosis through to life afterwards, or sometimes into bereavement, unfortunately. Thinking about things around the practical, emotional, financial impact of it. Really what we want is for young people to thrive, not just survive, and to lessen the impact of cancer. I love that saying, thrive, not just survive. (laughs) And what about you, Mark? Well, I am Mark Adams. I am a, I don't really like this word, but I'm a young adult cancer survivor. Um, I was introduced to Simon back in November 2017. I was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. It was called a thymoma, which was a malignant tumor on your thymus gland, which is kind of located in your chest, near your heart, or thereabouts. Um, I'm also a CrossFit Level 1 trainer and a British weightlifting Level 1 and Level 2 coach. Mark, were you physically active at all before you came to Sarah or was it literally just um, like you intro- introduced the Simon and then he changed your life? <laughs> <laughs> yes is the answer to that. <laughs> no, um, you were boxing. Boxing, I was doing a bit of boxing but it wasn't like, it was, it was not like the way training is now, it was kind of intermittent. Like now and again boxing bits and pieces. And football. Football as well, I played football too, yeah. So it would have been... Yeah, I would have been relatively active, not as active as I am now, but relatively active. And what were you doing before your cancer diagnosis? Like, were you working or? Yeah, I was working. Been... Yeah. I was working for, um, I, was sub, I was a subcontractor, I'm an electrician, and I was working for uh, a company out in Germany, um, for it was a big airline company. And um, I actually came home from a friend's wedding. And then my story is very, very complex and long, but. I'll give you the sort of the brief story. Um, so I also, before, just before the cancer diagnosis, I got diagnosed with a thing called myasthenia gravis. I've never heard of this before. Either. I've never heard of that. Essentially, it's, it's kind of similar in the sense of, so, so I ended up over a period, so I came home from a friend's wedding and I was standing in the shower 
I remember looking up at the water and I couldn't close my eyelids. The water was hitting me in the eyes. I thought this, I thought it was strange. Like, but in the way, I don't know. I think I've kind of always been like, it'll be all right. You know, that kind of mentality, like that kind of mentality. And um, over a period of two weeks, it got progressively worse. And I ended up hospitalized. I couldn't speak. I was pretty much paralyzed. I couldn't move. I couldn't lift the neck off the pillow. Um, I was struggling with the swallow as well. And they, they, the, the, the neurologist, whenever she came in, um, said, you may have either motor neurons or this thing called myasthenia gravis. So I didn't, I hadn't heard of really of both. And I remember Googling in the hospital um, or getting somebody to Google for me what motor neurons was. And that was the, the disease that Steve Hawking had. But it's, just, yeah. it's like a death sentence. And I remember said that, that that's probably the first time the panic set in. Um, so they, they see that people, the patients with myasthenia gravis have a, um, a lot of them have enlarged thymus glands. So your thymus gland is something to do with, you need it growing up, it's to do with hormones and- um, The pathways between your neurons. The pathways yeah. between your neurons, yeah. That, what he said. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, most people are enlarged, but it just so happens mine was, uh, had a tumor in it or on it, or it was malignant. So I remember sitting in the hospital and they said to me, um, there is no cure for this. At this stage, I was in the side ward of the hospital and the neurologist came in. My family had left and the neurologist came in and she told me that um, there is no cure. We have medication. We aren't sure if it's going to work or not, um, but pretty much I'm away for lunch here, right? And left me. <laughs> so I remember like, I remember lying in the hospital bed and looking out the window and the tears were just running down my face. It was like, but I, but I couldn't blink. It was so straight, it was so surreal, I couldn't blink. And they gave me the medication. Luckily the medication worked. So I, I left the hospital and thought, you know, thank God that that's, you know, we're, we're, we're back. They'd done a CT scan on the chest at that same time. And I got a call to come back in and they said, you have a malignant tumor beside your heart, essentially. I'm going to have to do open heart surgery on you. Now, I didn't really even clock that they didn't say malignant. They said a tumor, but I didn't even think cancer. I was like, and they, what they said was if we remove this, this tumor, there is a, a high likelihood that it's going to help with your myasthenia gravis. So I was like, right. get this out of me now. Mm -hmm. Like this needs to come out yesterday. And um, so I think I can't even remember. I think it was a few weeks had passed and I went back in and they done the surgery. So then the day after, I remember waking up, it was such a surreal experience, but even the sur surgery itself, because I've had surgeries before where like, like a broken arm or even tonsils. And I would always be like, I would always talk. I'm like a talking machine. And I was sitting, I, I remember sitting in, in the, uh, the operating room and I was trying to talk to these doctors and nurses and nobody would speak to me. I remember sitting thinking like, use your ignorant, like the, the, the user really ignorant. But then it kind of dawned on me that this isn't getting your tonsils taken out. This is essentially like open heart surgery you're going for. So these people can't, see, and that's what I think, these people can't see me as a person. They need to see me as like an object. Do you think they were in the zone? And yes, like like that. Yeah. If they have families to go back to. So if something did happen, they have to go back to their families tonight and live their, their own lives. So I think... That was the first time it was kind of like, you know, this is bad. And then after the, so the day after the operation, um, I had a pain in my chest, started here. 
and shot up into the neck and then and the, and the, like both shoulders and I went up into my neck and I remember hitting the buzzer for the nurse to come. Now the nurse, the head nurse told me to man up. I hate that expression by the way, but that's what she essentially told me to do, man up. You know, wow. um, so, but I had like a heart attack or something similar to, to like a heart attack from complications from the operation. So I didn't know this, but apparently your heart's in a sack. It's not like an emoji. It's not like <laughs> the emotions on your brain. It's, it's encapsulated in some sort of sack. But I think what happened was because of where they, they were cutting away from the tumor or whatever that happened, it had caused the so the valves go like dum 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 one open and one closing. It had caused them to swell. Oh, that's what the nurse told me. So caused them swell, and they had to like. I remember like, looking at this, I remember them hitting the, the panic button. The, the, the nurse came in and done an ECG on me and she uh, printed it and you can see the look of worry in her face and then she said somebody go get her and she had like the, the panic button for the crash team to come in. I remember the, 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 the bed was at like a 45 degree angle and then I went pretty flat and then I don't really remember much after that. Wow. Well, we've got the oxygen mask on. Um, and then a lot of the then there's loads of baller mats, like a lot of that's, yeah. Have you any, anything else you want to talk about? I feel, <laughs> I, I feel as if this isn't the big mark show. I don't want to. <laughs> no, honestly, I, the reason I just wanted to know more, basically it was just, you know, I just wanted to know more because it was just interesting how you sort of, you know, went from being an electrician to doing what you do now. And like obviously it, it wasn't just uh you woke up one day and wanted no. to be you know a crossfit trainer there's a lot that went on in between that and a big big life change for you I like I always say to people um even from my own experience of cancer like it like when it happens to you your whole like look out you know your whole outlook on life your whole life everything changes you have to adapt to a new normal again um it takes you on paths that you didn't think you were going to go down and, and things like that. And that is just a perfect, not obviously it's not perfect that it happened to you, but it's a good example of, <laughs> how, yeah. Yeah. of how, you know, something major in your life has now led you on a new path. And do you think mm -hmm. like if that hadn't have happened that you ever would have ended up doing what you do now? No, I, I actually spoke with this on another podcast. I think that, Getting this is gonna sound crazy, but getting cancer was the best thing that's ever happened to me. Wow. Because it put me on, I'm not saying I was on a downward spiral in my life, it wasn't, but everything needed to happen exactly the way it's happened in order for me to be where I am today. And life's good now, like like life's better than what it's ever been. Yeah. Even before cancer. Do you know what I mean? And I think the thing with cancer itself is the thing for me personally, and even speaking with other young adult cancer survivors, and I personally don't like that word, but um, the thing, the bad thing about cancer is the treatment's bad, but it's the fact that you're powerless. Yeah. And you never know this yourself, like you're only a passenger. And then even some of the language that's used, I know people mean well by it, but it's like, you know, you fought so hard there and, and and if somebody passes, it's like they've lost their fight with cancer, but it's like, it was never a fight. You're a no, passenger. it was never a fight, yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, so it almost implies if somebody passes, it almost implies that kind of language almost implies like, 
that they didn't fight hard enough. Yeah. Which is which, which as you know couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm I'm exactly the same as you. I hate that terminology. And it is really mm-hmm. difficult because people do mean well and mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they do say the wrong thing without meaning it. And I think they'd be, you know, they'd be devastated if they knew they defended you. But yeah, the certain terminology that I think just it's it yeah I saw there was this thing ages ago um it might have been on BBC I can't remember and it was like the things that people say to you well like when you've had cancer and stuff and it, they made it into like this humorous thing but it was actually like it was funny for someone who's had cancer to watch but then if I hadn't had cancer I'd be watching that thinking oh I might have said that to someone and it was like it was just the silliest things but um yeah it's it's just yeah, it's not, it's not, like, you know, it's not a fight at all. It's just, it's something, yeah. it's very real. It, like, that's your life. You know what I mean? That That's, you're not telling someone this big story and you're not telling mm-hmm. someone, you know, this fictional novel. That is yeah. your life. And that's what people don't sometimes understand that, you know, it might seem like an, you know, extravagant story, but it's not that's actually happened to you in your life. It's a bit like when people say, because we've had this conversation before, where people say you're such an inspiration, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, I have a lot of young people and actually a conversation I had with somebody on Friday, which was, I didn't choose to get lymphoma, yeah. but if it was to walk for the forest highest mountain peaks in Ireland, yeah. then tell me I'm inspirational then, but I didn't choose. Yeah. I did, I'm just, as you say, a passenger. I'm just taking what I'm being given. Mm-hmm. And even yeah. on your point, Sophie, about or yours maybe, which is you're a passenger and something, you have to put your trust in a lot of professionals and yes. trust in their knowledge that what they're going to give you is the right thing for you and it's going to get you in remission or or it's going to help you yeah. to get rid of some symptoms and stuff. So it's a big it's a big thing to put your trust in somebody you've never met before and may also have had a bad experience of, you know, healthcare professionals and doctors yeah. and stuff up until that point. So it's, it's a big ask. Yeah. And it, it, it is that sense of like, you lose all control. So it's like, well, in order to survive, you have to be at the hospital at this time. You have to have this medication. You have to have this surgery. You have to have, so you've got no control yeah. over anything. Um, however, you know, one thing that I found that I could control is what happened when I went home. So if that was, if I had had chemo in the morning and I felt all right, then I'd try and go for a walk with my family in the evening. And I didn't know whether Mark, that was something that you found, you know, maybe if you went home listened to some music or just taking back some control because you know at the end of the day when you're in the hospital you've got no control over what happens so that's what i so at that after the hospital there was um with prescription drugs and all i was like not using them i wasn't using them the way they were meant to be used but it's because i didn't have any outlets i didn't know how to speak about it and i think i had this idea that i'm a man this really toxic it was like this really toxic idea that and I know it's toxic now, but like I'm a man, man to talk about the problems. And then this this expression, man up, that that has ruined so many lives. And I think I didn't know how to cope. So then whenever Simon reached out and said everybody has a CrossFit program for young adults, post-cancer treatment, I was very delicate, like man, very sensitive, very, you know, very timid and but as soon as I went to it, I found it was a way to re- help regulate myself. So even yeah. though we're not going there and sitting uh, sitting around the around the campfires talking about talking about our cancer stories, right? It's like you you know you're you're in an environment of like-minded people who have also been through similar experiences, but that's not the focus. The focus is we're we're moving 
forward. Moving forward. <laughs> we're, we're trying to move forward here um, and become stronger mentally, but more or physically, but more more importantly, I feel is the mental aspect of things. It, yeah. it, it allowed me, it gave me a way to fight back, to fight back against it, take back some of that control because I was completely powerless. Yeah. Powerless to everything, powerless to the doctors, to my life. You know, it was just, even I didn't mentally, it was just, I was so, I was having panic attacks and my highs, my height, and the highs in my life were very high, but the lows were very, very low. And it got as bad as where like, I couldn't make the fall asleep at night just to get away from it all. Yeah. So then the move forward classes ran two days a week. So it was on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I went to a move forward class on Tuesday. Left feeling amazing. Wednesday still feeling okay. Thursday, these these uncomfortable thoughts and feelings started creeping back up. But then there was no problem because Thursday we go back. I used it as a form of medicine, as a way to help regulate myself. I think yeah. that a lot of healthcare professionals are, are aren't utilizing it. You know, exercise yeah. you know, it's yourself. Like it's one of the probably the, in my opinion, the most underutilized antidepressant. Yeah. You know, and they should be handling more gym memberships or trying to encourage people to go to group classes or, you know, yeah. I, I do definitely think that, that if, if they did that, it would be a game changer. Yeah. So Lucy Gossett, she's our 5K away co-founder. She hit one of her famous quotes is, exercise is arguably the most underused wonder yeah. drug in the NHS and yeah. it really is and you know obviously there is more talk now of social prescribing GPs using social prescribing to help people with long-term health conditions to help people with you know mental health conditions and things like that but yeah it's just the more the more knowledge out there because the evidence is there it's yeah. just getting that out isn't it and um, but Simon for you I think you know if we then come back to you how did you begin doing what you did? And yeah, so tell us your story. <laughs> Way back, I suppose I was at university uh, and in, I think, second year, then I found a lump and then I needed to really get that check. But I was a 19-year-old guy at university, so I left that for six months until I came back home and then went to my GP at home and then... No, I tell a lie. I was at GP in the university and uh, his, the GP's English wasn't the best. So I could only make out the word cancer and the word tumor. And I didn't really hear anything after that. So then I avoided doing it, I think, for six months until I came back home from university. And then I, the only person I ever told was my older brother. And then we booked in for an ultrasound. And then that's when I was told it was testicular cancer. And thankfully, I didn't need chemotherapy or anything else after that. So... Now, I don't know if that necessarily shaped me going into social work because I was already on that trajectory from the age of 16. But I was doing a psychology degree, got to the end of it, realized that it was I was never going to get a job with it anyway because it's very hard. So went back two years later and finally did my social work degree. Did a couple of years in another organization that came to Young Lives versus Cancer about 13 years ago and I've been, been here ever since. And, and didn't, I don't tell people that story. I still don't tell people that story because sometimes I don't Think that that's useful to tell that I have had cancer because it doesn't make a massive difference sometimes. My empathy sometimes ends at the diagnosis point because I never had surgery and we've had this conversation again about mm -hmm. like cancer no chemo which is that there's a almost like a class system sometimes. I, like, I felt like a fraud. Yeah so so you sometimes like if you've never had chemo but you're a cancer patient you can't relate to people who have had chemo or radiotherapy so it's an interesting concept. So, and then as Mark's made reference there to move forward, which is our CrossFit program. So about maybe seven or eight years ago, I was getting really frustrated that I was 
able to get some of my young people back to work and back to school when treatment came to an end like as in getting them like phase returns to work or flexibility yeah. and skills and stuff like that but ultimately because of deconditioning because of their endurance and stamina they weren't able to sustain them so then yeah. they were having repeat periods of sickness and work or coming out of school and then they were actually making more damage uh, to their education and to their employment by having that so I, I'm not the type of person who likes for other people to do things when I think I can do something myself. So then I decided to go back to university and do a master's while I was working and thought actually exercise is probably the best way that we could do this. That's what some of the research was sort of staying. Um, and I had just started doing CrossFit myself at that time. Um, and so started, did one year at university where I looked and saw what research was done around young people specifically and exercise of which there was very little. Like we were ranging from online yoga classes to uh, husky trekking in Canada. Uh, So it was a bit like, well, how do you take this and prove evidence? So did, and then I spent another year and I designed a research study to design a 10 week at CrossFit program twice a week in a community-based gym that was being delivered by me. So then I went and qualified as a CrossFit level one trainer. Yeah. And then I did the CAN rehab uh, level four cancer and sports rehabilitation course. So then I was at least coming to this with some sort of informed practice. Um, and then spent a year doing that. And the outcomes were basically saying, yes, it made a difference. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it was community-based and that it was specifically for young people rather than to the older generation, that people enjoyed it more. But it was at the end of that research study where everyone kept saying, sorry, is this gonna end or can we keep this on? And so that was seven years ago and we haven't stopped those programs. I didn't realize it had been seven years. Yeah, 2015. That's really good, That's right. Yeah, come up with, yeah. So, um, and it's always been Northern Ireland. So it started in one gym and then yeah. two years ago, we got funding from the Department of Health here in Northern Ireland, and we expanded it out to four more locations. And then we ran a, a pre-teen program as well at the Children's Hospital. Um, and we're coming to the end of that. Uh, this is the last year of that funding, but we already have plans for those to sustain because it's one of those ones that you can measure your success, not just by the attendance or by the attrition, but actually we have, what, seven coaches now who've seven. all been through yeah. cancer who are all level one or level two crossfit trainers but also then we have people who've been with me from day one who still yeah. come to classes um, oh, because that's amazing yeah fitness doesn't end there's no end point sometimes there's a graduation point where you might move on and specialize so some people might then go back into a particular sport yeah but broadly crossfit helps with uh, across the board with all sports in return yeah and just for someone who doesn't really know what actually is crossfit <laughs> The definition is constantly varied functional fitness performed at high intensity across broad domains. Uh, Essentially, if if you were to think about it, is it's not a particular sport that focuses on one activity. So when you're training for football, you're training for football, or when you're training for tennis, you're training for tennis. This is more about making people or enabling people to be the fittest and healthiest they can for anything that life throws at them. So if they decide they want to run a 5K or if they decide they want to do gymnastics or if they decide they want to be a particular sport, CrossFit should help across all of those because it's broadly improving fitness. And by that constantly varied means that 
uh, you're not repeating some of the same activities, so you're only specializing in certain things. It's, it's constantly varied workouts, constantly varied rep schemes. Uh, some of the movements would be varied, but we also repeat some of the same. So in CrossFit, we have what we call benchmark workouts, um, where we do the same workout and we might do it again four months later. Mm-hmm. And what that allows us to do is to see observable and measurable change. So you can see that you're four minutes faster in that same workout than what you were three months ago. So from a change behavior perspective, that's great because you can say, actually, I've got faster, I've got stronger because I'm lifting heavier, stuff like that. So Yeah. It's yeah. it's so subtle, honestly. Like, it, it is amazing what you And obviously, if you've been doing it for seven years and still, you know, be going strong, I think that speaks volumes, doesn't it? And how many, you know, obviously, you might not know this off the top of your head, but how many young people do you think have been supported through this program now? It's a good question. I would imagine probably somewhere in the region of, well, over a hundred at least, but probably yeah. closer to maybe to 150 over the years. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, Northern Ireland as a population, we're quite small. So we yeah. would only normally tend to see around maybe 70, 75 young people diagnosed with cancer each year. Yeah. And off that, and then you've got some who just aren't going to be at the stage to exercise. Then geographically, we were based in one city. So our numbers were low because we were, we were relying on people being able to travel uh, and have the time to. But now that we've expanded out, I mean, some of our programs have 15 people in them twice yeah. a week and happens twice, two 10 week blocks throughout a year. Yeah. And what about like, obviously, you must face some challenges in terms of like, say a young people young person comes to you and their mobility is now different post-cancer like so for me I struggled a lot with avascular necrosis which was something mm-hmm. I got from a lot of steroid use so I've had both my hips replaced I need shoulder replacements elbow replacements but before having those hips replaced I, my mobility was so poor um and I suppose like how do you or like say a young person's had to have you know a lower limb amputated as a result that you how do you sort of you know how do you overcome those challenges and we get those asked particularly about physios quite a lot which is quite good but actually it's probably easier to do that in crossfit than it is to be in a specific sport so because we're talking about functional movements you know things like being chair based and deadlifting is very easy chair lift or you know pushing overhead for some of our patients who have shunts and have and uh, have had brain tumors we don't go overhead for particular reasons but we can still engage those same muscle grips by just doing a different activity sometimes banded sometimes seated and banded sometimes on the floor because that'll take away a lot of the the pressure um and crossfit probably taught us that better than the can rehab level four course in my opinion because i think in my head when I was thinking about my the sport of CrossFit, it, I knew the activities, whereas can, the, some of the broader kind of cancer rehabilitation courses are thinking more about the older population as well. Yeah. So it can tend to be banded wheelchair or banded seating activities. So, but sometimes it is okay to say, I don't know, but I'm going to go away and, and research. So yeah. there's a, an adaptive and inclusion course, which is for you know, neurological uh, conditions, amputations, lower limb, above limb, arm, neurological conditions, but also learning uh, people with learning disabilities, difficulties, people with autism, because even going into a gym environment where you've got a lot of noise and your body temperature rises when you're exercising, it's all really important as a coach to know how that's going to be for the athlete. How do you yeah. 
scale and adapt. So we talk about scaling and adapting in CrossFit, which is where we scale either the reps or we scale the movement, but we keep the range of motion the same so that someone's getting the same stimulus, or we can adapt by changing things out, either position, squatting to a box or a ball rather than to the, you know, to the lowest that they can go, changing the weights, maybe just going with the PVC pipe, stuff like that. So it's easier in CrossFit sometimes to do that, in my opinion, than it is sometimes in other sports. Yeah. So it's very adaptable then. Very much like, so. You know, you can't yeah. really, you know, you would never turn someone away. It seems like it's very, you know, it can, you know, it's very adaptable. Yeah, we, we've never, I don't think in, in any of the time we've turned people away, what we've said is come and try it and we'll see what we can do. I think in the early days we said, when I was doing my research study, we said that we weren't able to take anyone with a central nervous system or a brain diagnosis because there was only me as a coach. And you do need two eyes sometimes. And so we've got a couple of our athletes who um, require maybe just somebody to be around them, like a coach to be around them. But that's yeah. sometimes just for mobility issues and for safety. But we will give them every opportunity to test their limitations and, and realize that they are maybe more balanced than they give themselves or more coordinated than they give themselves credit for. Yeah. So. Oh, it's so, it's also so, I want to come on it. <laughs> <laughs> it may be coming to your location near you. So <laughs> oh well, yeah. Is that is that um is that what you call it when it's like a not a scandal or um oh, like, like, a, like a teaser type thing yeah no. like a teaser yeah, yeah. I mean, I, i'm i'm quite passionate that this is one of the things that um should never just be contained in northern ireland the way that i approached this was it, it, it's something you can take off the shelf and put in any gym anywhere in the world like a, a trainer can go and do this and, and some advice and safety and stuff like that but even as an organization we're keen to to have access for and uh, to it so we do have plans for the derby not in area uh for uh to pilot a program hopefully come september so that is our teaser you hear to hear first <laughs> <laughs> so were you were you um when sort of obviously when covid hit during like lockdown and stuff were you still running sort of virtually or yeah and yeah. that was down to Big Mark and John and Kathleen for taking that on and doing, we did like, Zooms. we did Zooms, yeah, mm -hmm. garden yeah. Zooms. And then we even did, do you remember, um, move forward through lockdown, which yeah. was the a challenge, big challenge, Scotland, Ireland, Wales. I don't think we had any from England, no. but it was then every like TCT and Young Lives team and some young people went, it was like, you would get points for like a, a walk or a run or a workout, or if you joined a Zoom workout, you would get 10 points. And then each country, each nation yeah. competed. It was like the yeah, six it was, nations. It was, it was good, it was very, very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it sounds like you, you both are just like this, like pool of ideas and it's like nothing is ever, you know, nothing can ever be, you know, uh, it's like a, a hurdle in the way that can't be overcome that kind of attitude, oh, which I think you've yeah, got yeah. to have when you do the job that we all do. It's like, well, you know, and as you said before, Sam, if I don't know, I'll find the answer to it. Yeah. And it's like, you have got to have that. It's almost like blue sky thinking. We say, we say that a lot here at Move. And I suppose, yeah, like, you know, you've got to have the, the bigger picture in your mind. So blue sky thinking where do you you know where do you if, if funds are unlimited if resources are unlimited what you know where do you hope that this will go i mean i ultimately i think we would need we would want to have our own gym yeah our own facility in, in the city because we've got that you know that interest in the numbers and i think that would be 
a need, particularly when, uh, and, and I don't even know if that would sit within like, with the realm of cancer as well, because I think there's so many other uh, conditions that could really benefit from the model of move forward. Uh, yeah. I think of some of our young people with cystic fibrosis or, or wheelchair based and stuff like that, that they don't have the facilities to be able to come and do all of that. And that's what really move forward is about that inclusion. So for me, it's about a gym, but also just about getting it out there and getting more people and almost creating a community of move forward athletes and move forward coaches that are that are bought into this idea that cancer has taken so much away, but this is the one thing that they can take back, which is their health and their fitness. Uh, and and hopefully see some of that tangibly because that's their effort they're putting in mm-hmm. yeah you know, we don't drive a bus to their house and pick them up and bring them down they have to get themselves to the gym and for some people that's not right now and for some people that's in three months time that's okay for some people it's not at all crossfit can be intimidating that is okay We're yeah not for everybody. yeah so, uh, and what about you mark blue sky thinking i'd say the same the, the impact that this program has personally had on me it, it's it's generally changed my life I can yeah. honestly, it has because I think for the first time I was coming to an environment where nobody was judging me. And I, this is a credit to Simon Pooey. It's like it wasn't he, he was the first person that came to me. It wasn't so much like, oh my, are you hope you're okay. And all that. He's kind of got like a no nonsense, straight talking approach, right? And that's exactly what I needed. And I know for a lot of young adults, that's exactly you know what you, what you need because you're, you're almost wrapped in bubble wrap. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like it gives you a way to fight back. <clears throat> That's what I said before. And, and for me, it was such an empowering experience to be able to say, I did do that. I remember the, so after I had the operation on my chest, I'm tied together with these like titanium um, cables that hold my chest plate close. And we came to the, to the CrossFit before class, and Simon said to me, We're going to be doing press ups, but don't worry, we're going to be able to scale this back. So this is where the skill aspect becomes. We're going to do them on our knees. Um, or I think maybe against the wall. We did, them, we did them against the wall first. And he says, no, we're going to do one try it now on our knees. And I remember sitting thinking, like, mentally, I was like, he's got this all wrong. I'm going to break. You know, like, I'm, because I listened to what the doctors had said. And what, it's kind of like, I'm so fragile. Like, yeah. Sam, are you sure? And he's like, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and then I did over do a press up. And the, the silence in my head was almost like deafening. I was like, I'm going to break, I'm going to break, I'm going to break, I'm going to break, I'm going to break. But I didn't. And I think it, it was one of those moments where I'm like, oh, I didn't think I could do that. But because you're in that group setting and everybody's encouraging everyone and they genuinely want the best for you, you like there's things now that I can do five years down the line. And, and five years ago, if you'd have told me I could do these things, I would say you're, you're crazy, like yeah. impossible. But but I think CrossFit's like that as a whole anyway. As it's really community, it's like a community based sport where everybody wants everybody to do well. So it's all high fives at the end of the workout. And it's one of these things where if I say this to you and you don't do CrossFit, you might be like, that's a bit weird. But <laughs> if you're in that environment, it's such a high vibe. It's such a it's just a really empowering experience. So for me, getting it worldwide, if you're able to account with what Simon says, I'm no facility, but like maybe should like if you had like CrossFit, like CrossFit, I move forward with like that kind of same level. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like that kind of level. Yeah. Or the we talked about the uh, like CrossFit games, like yeah, for yeah. cancer patients, so yeah. almost like the Invictus games. But oh, um, that'd be amazing! Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's yeah. what well, I that's actually. Do you know what I thought of that the minute you said I want like 
you know, we want CrossFit athletes all over. And I was thinking, you could do an Olympics with this. <laughs> <laughs> Mark just wants it so he can lift heaviest. That's all he wants. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's always about the competition. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, like, just touching on what you said before, Mark, um, about sort of, like, you know, because obviously you, you are a social worker as well, Simon, you know, it's not, so you have sort of like, you know, your life as, you know, the CrossFit trainer and move forward, but you also have your life doing like the day, just the mundane, not mundane, but the day-to-day stuff. And I think like the role of social workers, I think maybe is something that is so overlooked in cancer care as well as, well as movement, because mm-hmm. I wouldn't, or I wouldn't have like got through my cancer journey like half as easy as I did without my um my young life's social worker um and I think like you know Mark you wouldn't have known about like the move forward if it hadn't have been for Simon you wouldn't probably wouldn't have even got up out of your beds you know and moved about if it hadn't been for Simon but yeah like the the approach and everything like is what so I loved the fact that my social worker came in a week after I was diagnosed into my hospital room, rolled in with this suitcase, plonked it on the bed and was just like, right, I'm going to, I'm going to help you out now. And it, there was no sort of like stroking and being like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. none of that pity. And that's what I loved. Again, like yeah. you said, Mark, like I needed someone to just talk to me like a human, not pity me. And yeah, we like, we kept in touch the whole seven years I was going through treatments. Like we still keep in touch now. And I feel like that that role of a social worker is so, so, so important. Like, yeah. And yeah, I mean, and I suppose, you know, in your day-to-day, Simon, like, you know, you must come across so many different individuals, different families, and you probably have to change the way you approach each different situation, don't you? Like, Absolutely. You know, I mean, yeah, whether that's a 16-year-old who's never experienced really anything in their life to a 23-year-old who's lost both parents, experience quite a lot of trauma it is you know you you just have to be quite adaptive as a social worker and that's really where young lives kind of come into our own is is that you know we cross the whole age span and we call on cancers and it doesn't care if you have two parents no parents it doesn't care if you've got a mental health um issue or you're you're addicted it doesn't care if you're rich or poor but we need to know about all of the resources and about all of the services that are out there but ultimately for me like move forward is just a tool in a toolbox that I access at different times. So from Mark, yeah. that was very early on to say this is something I, you know, Mark didn't want really anything else to do with me or from me at that time. I remember, I remember he offered me um, a free hoodie and because he had cancer on it, I was like, no. And now yeah. you were that hoodie a lot, by the way. But it's it's just one of those things. It's like, you know, people don't know that, that move forward is actually a social work program that is yeah. just delivered through access. It is built upon this idea of solution-focused, strength-based approach. All I'm doing is getting people to identify their own skills, abilities, and resources, and getting them to apply that in a way that achieves their goals. Yeah. I'm just doing that in a group setting, in a exercise program that allows them to experience failure, to experience what it's like to work as part of a team and to learn to communicate with people when they've not maybe communicated as well for the last six months on treatment, for example. Yeah. So. But yeah, I think that is important, isn't it? Like not everyone's going to want your help and some exactly. people will just want the CrossFit yeah. side of things and that's yeah. it. 
other people will want you to be there like literally mm -hmm. week in week out by their bedside and that and I think that's fine um yeah. and but I do think you know people were so shocked when I said to like family and friends and stuff like I've got a social worker they started yeah. getting that weird social work they were like oh why is everything and it's like no it's it's to help me through cancer because it's quite a big life change so <laughs> yeah someone to navigate and you know I was saying to people well how do you think like I've had to drop out of uni like I've got no money how do you expect me yeah. to live like so my social yeah. worker's telling me like what am I entitled to financially like what help I can get my parents didn't work for years to look after me like what help they can get and and it's support for the whole family isn't it yes. you know yeah and it's down it's, it's sometimes the little things where i'm saying to people you know who's your who, who supplies your gas and who supplies your electric and they're like i don't know but why and you're like well because you can get relief you can get grants from these providers really our role is to think very holistically about like if i'm thinking about mark i'm thinking about you i'm thinking about what are all the things in your life that are going on yeah and that's uni part-time work relationships i'm then thinking about well how do, how is this going to impact on all of that and how can i reduce that impact and that will be either three different grants or maybe suggesting to you different services but also recognizing that sometimes when you're diagnosed you're in that muddled phase where you can't see kind of through the mist and so some of that is us taking that on to do that for yeah. you until you get to the stage where you feel you've got a the confidence but also the ability and time and clarity to start working on some things and then we will hand some of that over but also we can just do everything for them it just depends we do it's a balance between enabling people and making people dependent or codependent but it's a balance between recognizing that people have their own abilities and skills. yeah and also it's just that um it's that other figure so you know for me there was things that i told my social worker that i didn't tell family and friends because i didn't yeah. want to upset family and friends whereas like not that my social worker you know she, she might have got upset by what I was telling her but at the same time like you know she was a person who I felt like I could confide in um and you know could and ask questions too and like you know oh well do you think I'm being out of order with my family here or do you think yeah. you know just the things like that and I don't know whether you know Mark you felt like that as well like whether you know Simon was for you just that outsider that you know, if you did have a question or if you wanted to sort of like let off some steam, they were the person to talk to. The first person I ever, the first person I ever spoke to, I, whenever I was struggling mentally, was Simon. I texted him and, and said, "Can we talk?" And he says, "Meet me at the gym." And there was nobody at the gym, and he, he said, he just said, "What's up?" And we sat, we sat down. He goes, "What's up?" And I couldn't speak. Yeah, I, I was completely. Like I must have took about 10, 10 minutes to get about three words out. But he was understanding, and it was the first time I ever opened up about anything. Because like, I had I had a whole twenty at this stage it was twenty four years of suppressing difficult feelings and emotions in my own personal life. Then this whole cancer, like the whole cancer, just blew the doors open. It was just, it was like if you imagine all your problems being like items of clothing on the floor. I had picked up all my problems from my life, opened the wardrobe door, fired them in closed the door, said that's us done. And then all of a sudden, everything just boom, came out. And I didn't, I, I couldn't cope. I didn't know how to handle it. And then that was, for me, that was the very first time. So Sam was the first person I ever, I ever, ever come out and was allowed myself to be vulnerable with. Because yeah. I'm a man, because I'm six foot seven. I'm a man, men don't talk about the problems. You know, this toxic ideology that I, I think it's, it's starting to change now, which is good, you know. Yeah. 
they had a hard time with their problems and that's good. I think even with your analogy, it was also just about saying, it's okay for clothes to be lying on the floor. Mm -hmm. It's okay for your room to be messy. Yeah. When you get time and energy, you can then start cleaning up. Yeah. But all it was was just teaching you the full clothes starting off with mm -hmm. till eventually like accessing different yeah. services was then maybe about taking those clothes and bringing them to a laundry service and mm -hmm. getting somebody to do it for you. Yeah, see, Simon recommended going seeing a psychologist, and I had this this sort of stigma around it. It's like I don't need a psychologist. I was I like that too. Yeah. I need a psychologist. <laughs> and now that I've been to see one, and I mean, I do still see a counselor once every few weeks, and people say, "Is everything okay?" Because I'd be very open about this kind of stuff. Because there's somebody out there like me who, if I'm able to help one person, to know that it's okay. This expression it's okay not to be okay but it is but it's not okay to stay that way do you know yeah. what i mean and it's kind of like if i'm able to be open and honest about it that i so it's people say what do you send a counselor for and i'm like well i've got um i've got a, a crossfit coach i've got a strength and conditioning coach i've got an olympic weightlifting coach why not have a mindset coach yeah you know, so keeping on top of your mental and emotional well-being is a constant process i just don't get fit and say oh, I'm, I'm fit now i'm just going to set my feet up it's a constant process you yeah. know, and I think going and seeing a, like a counselor or a psychologist should be as normal as going and seeing your GP when you have a cold. That, that's how normal it should. And it is starting to change, which is good. Mm -hmm. but even I've seen a big change even five years. Yeah. There's still more needs done. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I do think that, you know, if, you know, if anyone listening to this as well, like, you know, if whether they've been affected by cancer or not, you know, that there is that one common thing that you know looking after your mental health is so important but physical activity can actually make you feel better mm -hmm. so that I'm not saying that's the solution at all but you know movement so I can guarantee Simon those patients that and Mark that you're seeing on a day-to-day -day basis who are moving more who are doing CrossFit I can guarantee 99% of them will say my mental health has improved yeah. as well mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, as you said, there's so much more work to be done and, you know, people are opening up more, particularly men, they're opening up more. There's, you know, they're chatting to their friends more, chatting to work colleagues more, chatting to psychologists, counsellors, whoever they need to chat to more. Um, and maybe in time, like if we go back to the social prescribing, if GPs then become on board with what we're trying to do, you know, in our day-to-day -day work and you're trying to get people, whether they're affected by cancer or not, to move more, these two things can go hand in hand. So, yes. you know, if if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, well, I've never had cancer, you know, what what's all this CrossFit and stuff got to do with me? Well, actually, you might think it, it could be for you. Like, you don't mm -hmm. have to have had cancer to do this. It can help yeah. your mental health. It can help your physical well-being. It's just everything, really. Um, yeah. Can, and, you know, and kind of analogy, I would have thought, not an analogy, I don't know what you call this, but like, if I had a really bad infection, and I had a high temperature. The high temperature is the thing that's making me feel bad. Yeah. So I thought that like by doing the CrossFit was was taking the sting out of it. So by doing CrossFit was like lowering the temperature, which is making me feel better. And then by going to the the, the psychologist was the, the IV antibiotics, and that's what was just treatment. That's what was treatment. Yeah. You know, so the CrossFit was bringing down the I'm feeling um edgy or anxious or panicky or low today i go there i go crossfit that brings that down and then i'm open and honest and speaking about how i'm feeling with the, with the psychologist or a counselor and then that that treats it 
yeah. for me, speaking was one of the most important things I've ever done. So yeah. anybody, there's anybody out there who's listening to it, it doesn't make you less of a man, it doesn't make you less of a person. Be real with yourself, be open and honest. Yeah. And reach out to someone. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. It doesn't have to be someone even in your no. immediate family. Like, you know, Simon's not related to you, but he was brought into your life, you know, as a social worker figure, but you didn't use them in a typical way of, that other young people might use them. So other young people might say, oh, I need support. Which, how do I go about, you know, dropping out of school, dro- you know, putting studies on hold, things like that. Whereas you were like, no, actually, I just need to talk to you. I just need you to be an ear for me to <laughs> vent to and then offer some solutions. And by talking, you are where you are today. And, you know, you've come a long way. And and I think, yeah, that's probably, it's very easy as well when you've got cancer to just repress it to please everyone else. So that's what I used to do. I used to tell my family and friends, I'm fine. Because I used to think, well, if they think I'm fine, they're going to be fine. If they yeah, see me smile and they're going to go, oh, she's all right. They weren't, they weren't that easily fooled. But then <laughs> I'd have this big breakdown every so often. And it's just be like, why is this happening to me? And tears and tantrums and everything. And I was thinking, why didn't I just talk and then eventually and it wasn't until I'd finished my first lot of treatment which was two and a half years that's when I opened up to my social worker and I said actually I'm really struggling now because what do I do now I finished treatment I don't go to the hospital regularly don't you know I've got nowhere to be how do I get back into uni how do I get into a job like what the hell do I do now and that's when she came in and she was my ear to listen to me and, and offer solutions um, and I think that's the big thing, isn't it? So obviously, do you guys support people post-treatment up to so many years, or, you know, with cross yeah. things? Yeah, I mean, it's, it tends to be more like based upon the need. So yeah, the need, yeah. Um, yeah, rather than saying like after two years, that's it, you're done. You know, yeah. we don't support forever, as you'll know, but sometimes that's where, I suppose, move forward, I was really keen that actually that reached up to 30 um yeah. for that reason was because sometimes it takes a while to get things back on track and you could be five years post-treatment when you're diagnosed at 24 that you can still need the support so i'll still see people who are 20 at 29 30 but in a move forward capacity but when they're within a good couple of years post-treatment yeah yeah and get back to university and back to work it takes a while for people that's okay they'll be here yeah yeah oh that's nice that's nice to know <laughs> And I think that's the same with MOVE. So we support people on our online program, you know, up to 30 years old, but, you know, they can be like three years post-treatment. Like, yeah. you know, that that's when they might really need us. Um, and again, going back to the stereotypes, what we were saying before, Mark, and we, when people say things and they don't mean it, and it's like people sometimes think, you finished your treatment now, so you're back to normal. Back to normal. <laughs> but yeah, you're all, you're all better now. And it's like, well, actually, no, I have really regular follow-ups. Like, you know, there's a lot of anxiety around that. I, you know, I'm on medication for life. I've got all these long-term side effects. It's like, no, I'm not. Not just like, oh, you have yeah. it now, you're better. Um, you know, that's another thing that we we face on a day-to-day. But like, I think slowly people are understanding that more, and and it's the likes of you know programs like yours where people are managing to you know get to a place where they're content with how they're feeling um how they're feeling physically how they're feeling mentally um and you know they're in a good place so that that's the aim to get everyone back to it's not about getting back to normal it's about finding the new normal yeah. and 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 trying to reach that um 
But yeah, it's been... before we finish, though, I think we just have to mention that Simon. <laughs> you have been recognised for everything that you've done. And I know you didn't want me to fuss about this, but I do, you know, you got an MBA um, last year for all of your work. And, and you thoroughly deserve it. And you're looking at me like a at the moment as if to be like, shut up. <laughs> but honestly, like, you know, you have been recognised for a reason. And that's, you know, it doesn't have to be all like, you know, the, the big show and things like that. It's just, just think of the young people that you've helped. And that's the main thing, whether it's one or a hundred, like that's why I think everyone who works in this, in this, like these services deserves a medal, not an MBA. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think, and Mark, do you think he deserves it? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. You have yeah. to say that. <laughs> <laughs> How much <did> you pay? <laughs> yeah, it's not coaching anymore. <laughs> but I'm just glad that you know you were recognised on that level because you took like you absolutely deserve it. And oh, it, it was such an honor, such an honor. It was like you know, it, it was just never something I would never have ever envisaged. Like, yeah. It's not something I would have on my, not that I have one of those like vision boards, but <laughs> I never thought it was on that radar. And then when I got it, I was all like, okay, yeah. what do I do with this information in my head? So but it was just, I was so honored to be able to receive it. And, for, and because it's for work and because I'm so passionate about what we do. Yeah, it's so uh, evident to yeah. see that when you talk about it, like the passion comes through. Um, yeah, but just huge congratulations for that. Thank you. So. Thank you. Yeah, be a competition now, Mark. You'll have to try and get one now. <laughs> someday, someday. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you both today. And, you know, you've been so open, so honest about everything. Um, and I really do wish you the best. And, and yeah, watch this space because, yeah, it could be you guys, you know, the the world your voice star and um, this will be a whole, you know, worldwide thing one day. But... Well, we must continue to play the lottery so we have those unlimited yeah. funds <laughs> <laughs> well i'll put some numbers on for you and then okay, um, we'll see how we go <laughs> well, we'll, yeah, see, we'll see on the daily mail if sophie <laughs> wins the lottery and we'll never hear from her again <laughs> <laughs> well yeah thank you both so much um, for your you. time and it's been an absolute thank pleasure you. speaking to you both thanks again for listening to this episode of the move against cancer podcast you can subscribe to our podcast on our website, movecharity.org, on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And please don't forget to give us a five-star review in the app if you did enjoy listening. Thank you once again to our guests, Simon and Mark, and we'll be back soon for another episode. So keep an eye out on our socials and on our website for the new series of the Move Against Cancer podcast. Thank you for listening.